Well, happy Easter, Village Church. Oh, wow. Are you serious? <laughs> happy Easter, Village Church. Happy Easter. There we go. All right. Well, listen, I have some good news for you this Easter Sunday morning, as we do for you every Sunday morning when you're with us at the Village Church. And the good news this morning is this. We can have hope beyond hope when we place our hope in Jesus. And I think we should declare that. We should confess that boldly, loudly together this morning. Would you join me in repeating that together? We can have hope beyond hope when we place our hope in Jesus. The eight o'clock was so much better. Can we just do that one more time? We can have hope beyond hope when we... There you go. There we go. And most of us are in need of this kind of hope this morning, a hope beyond hope. A recent LifeWay survey told us that more than 40% of Americans feel hopeless, here it is, at least some of the time. So at least some of the time, most of you feel a sense of hopelessness. Nearly half of you, if this is right, came this morning with some kind of sense of hopelessness. And you can only imagine what has happened to those numbers over this last year. The, these statistics have not gotten better, right? More people in our community, more people in our country, they need more hope than ever before. But here's the problem. The problem is that, that we continue to put our hope, we continue to place our hope in the same things we've always placed our hope in. Listen to me, the things that can't hold our hope, they can't hold the kind of hope that we need. The hope of politics, a new party, new leadership, a, a new person, a new candidate. The hope of cultural movements, New social trends, new social initiatives, a new wave going some direction or the other. The hope of economics, right? A, a continued bull market. My Bitcoin doing very well, thank you, right? Or something like that. Amazon and, and, and Vimeo and stock going through the roof perhaps so that I can just rest and be at ease and just make it big for once and then I could kind of coast. The hope of health a new health breakthrough, and in this season, never more than ever, right? New therapeutics, new, well, new vaccines in this season, isn't it? And as professing Christians, we know that these are not the places that we are supposed to place our ultimate hope. We know that. But instead of rejecting these things as the place that we place our greatest hope, I'm afraid too many of us have begun attaching our ultimate hope to a political party or a political leader that's going to give us the kind of economic policies and cultural policies that we want, that's going to bring the kind of healthcare initiatives that we think will get us out of or through this season. And I'm telling you, that cuts on both sides of the aisle. Attaching ourselves to someone who we think is going to solve our greatest problems. And I'm afraid too many of us as professing Christians have simply added our version of Jesus, the version that we've made up in our own minds. And we've attached him and we've attached his name to the places that we place our ultimate hope in reality. But we've attached his name to it, listen to me, so we can have a bit more of a clear conscience as we do it. And I want to let you know this is nothing new. 
This is something that's been happening since the first Easter. This was happening just as much surrounding the first Easter as it is surrounding this Easter. And I know that may be hard to imagine, but this morning I want to share an account with you of two followers of Jesus who lacked this kind of hope beyond hope, even though they knew a lot of things about Jesus, they had certain ideas about him. And I want to show you how Jesus met them in the midst of it. It's the account of the road to Emmaus, and it's in Luke chapter 24. And the account starts in verse 13, where it says, That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. This is about a two and a half hour walk in that day. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. They were walking away from Jerusalem. They were walking away from the place that Jesus said that he was the son of God. They were walking away from the place that Jesus went to Calvary. They were walking away from the place that he was crucified, away from the place where all of these things were accomplished. They were walking away from Jerusalem, in a sense, walking away from Jesus and the hope they thought he was going to bring. And they were walking away with a sense of hopelessness because Jesus did not bring the kind of hope they were looking for, freedom from political oppression from progressive social movements and from a paralyzing economic policy that, that under the Roman Empire was just crushing for the people of God in that day. The Barna Research Group reported statistics about the church in this last year that might make us wonder if something similar is happening in the church today. And I shared this with you in the fall, and I'll share it with you again, that 32% of professing Christians are not attending church in person or online. And it makes me wonder. It makes me wonder if, if one of the reasons, or even one of the main reasons, that this is true is that too many professing Christians are not attending or watching because, because they believe they have a Jesus in, kind of in their own mind that they've made up in their own imagination, and he didn't meet their expectations. And so in some way, shape, or form, they're walking away with a sense of hopelessness or a sense of indifference to it all. Have you had some measure of hope? Because you've, have you lost, rather, some measure of hope because you have created a Jesus of your own imagination and he hasn't met your expectations? The account continues. Look at verse 15. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. This is what Jesus does. This is what Jesus does. Even when we walk away from him or stop attending church or stop watching or stop fellowshiping with God's people because we're disappointed that, that he didn't meet our expectations. He didn't do what we think he should have done. He continues to draw near to us. He continues to initiate with us. He continues to come to us. He continues to come to show us that he alone is the source of our ultimate hope, even if we, even if we blamed him in some sense for a portion of our hopelessness. I want to encourage you, do not see this morning as you coming to him as much as him coming to you. He knew you would be at this Easter service just like he knew they would be on that journey to Emmaus. Do you sense Jesus drawing near to you this morning in, in this way? If you're a Christian, do you sense Jesus drawing near to you to sort of bolster your hope? I was telling a few people, I don't know why, but it just seems that the birds chirp louder and the sun shines brighter on Easter morning, doesn't it? 
You sense Jesus is drawing near to you to bolster your hope? Maybe you're not yet a Christian. Do you have any sense that, that you might be here this morning because Jesus wants to bring you a hope beyond the normal places that you place your hope? The account continues, verse 16. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Okay, so uh, this sounds a bit strange, okay, but there's, there's a good reason for it, which we'll get to at the end of our time together this morning. But I, I want to pause and say, it's actually not all that strange. This is Jesus, and there were a lot of very interesting and extraordinary things that surrounded his presence, and he did a, a number of amazing things. This doesn't surprise me in the least if Jesus is in the mix. But for now, the story continues. Look at verse 17. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you were holding with each other as you walk? And they st stood still, looking sad. Jesus not only comes to them, he not only draws near to them, he actually, he draws them out. He draws them out with a very leading question. Listen, Jesus doesn't ask the question because he doesn't know the answer. Jesus always knows the answer. He always knows the answer to the question. And he always knows the answer to the question he's asking before he asks the question. Jesus asked the question because he wants them to be able to express the places where their greatest hopes actually lie. He's drawing it out of them. He's drawing them out. He wants them to say, we had hoped this or we had hoped that. And I think he wants the same from us. He doesn't want us to hide the places where we actually place our greatest hope. He wants us to, to, to confess it to him. He wants us to talk about it with him. He, he wants to draw us out. He wants to talk about it together with us in light of his grace and his mercy and his power and his resurrection power. Are you able to express your greatest hopes to Jesus? Are you able to talk through the real places that you actually place your ultimate hope in someone or something other than him? Can you have that conversation with him as he draws you out? The account continues. Look at verse 18. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? One of them states the obvious. One of them states the thing that everybody knows, Cleopas says. Look, everyone knows this. That many people have placed their hope in Jesus. And it may not always be the exact right kind of hope, they might be making up a Jesus of their own imagination. They're placing some kind of hope in Jesus because there's just something about Jesus that causes people to want to place their hope in him, to want to look to him for some kind of hope or some degree of hope. Matter of fact, more people have professed to place their hope in Jesus in one way, shape, or form than any other person in the history of the world. And there's a reason for this. Is there something about Jesus that makes you look to him in a hopeful way? Is there something about Jesus that just makes you want to place your hope in him? The account continues. Look at verse 19. And he said to them, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. And how the chief priests and the rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. 
These early disciples articulate something of the reason why so many people look to Jesus for their hope, both then and now. Jesus said things that no one else had ever said. He said that you could be healed by his mere words. He said that he could forgive sin. He said that he was the son of God. And Jesus did things that no one else had ever done. He taught with a kind of authority that everyone recognized to this day. He did many miracles. He healed the sick. He even raised the dead, I believe as a foreshadowing of his resurrection from death. He was mighty in deed and word before God and before all the people. And because he was, because he said things that no one else had ever said, and because he did things that no one else had ever done, many people believed that he would be the political and cultural leader that would save them from the things that were crushing their hope. Unfair political policies, unfair cultural policies, unfair economic programs and processes, policies, and the persecution that actually came along with that. And that he would do it in a way that, that felt somehow spiritual. But we had hoped, they said, that he would be the one to redeem Israel. I think many people still believe this about Jesus, that he's a good political and cultural leader, that he had really good moral ideas, and they attach him to their favorite political or cultural leaders in a way that feels almost spiritual. Does this sound familiar? Might you have placed your hope in Jesus in a way that is ultimately attached to your greatest personal or cultural or economic or political hopes? and not, not the hope beyond hope that Jesus actually came to bring? The account continues, verse 21. Yes, and besides all this, it's now the third day since these things have happened. Moreover, some of the women in our company, they amazed us. They, they were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that he had, they'd seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but him they did not see. Cleopas and his friend, unbeknownst to them at the time, they start talking about the place that not only them, but every single person can go for this hope beyond hope. And that is to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The apostle Paul would later say it this way, for if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Paul wants to emphasize the importance of the resurrection to the Christian faith. In these two verses, Paul summarizes our greatest problem and our greatest hope. Look, our greatest problem is not political. And our greatest problem is not cultural, no matter how much we may think it is. And our greatest problems are not economic, and it's not stuff that surrounds healthcare. Like, our greatest problem is the root of all of these problems. Our greatest problem is sin. Our greatest problem is a relational problem. 
Our greatest problem is that our relationship with God is broken because of sin. And, and then it affects our relationships with others. And those relationships are broken. And then the systems and the structures and all that we create are also broken. Covered with sin. And if sin is our greatest problem, and it is, according to the Bible, our greatest hope is that someone would be able to come and deal with our sin. And that someone would be able to come and deal with the root of sin once and for all. So that our relationship with God could be mended again and our relationship with each other could be mended again. And so we have a little better go at creating systems and structures that actually benefit and bless rather than break things. And Jesus knows this. Jesus knows this better than anyone. And so what Jesus does is he begins to kind of guide their conversation towards these issues of sin and salvation. We see it starting in verse 25. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was not it necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Now, as one preacher, one of hundreds of thousands, I'm assuming, around the world today that's talking about the resurrection of Jesus, I could not presume to know all that went in to this sermon of all sermons on Easter Sunday morning. Who would know? The Bible doesn't record it all, but based on what we know in hindsight, I think we could, we could take a pretty good guess at assuming some of the concepts that must have been in this sermon if Jesus began with Moses and showed them all the things concerning himself. He must have talked about the idea that God wants a relationship with us. It says starting with Moses. If you know anything about the Bible, you know that in that period of time, he said, you will, I will be your God and you will be my people. When he went to Pharaoh, he said, let my people go. Starting with Moses, he wanted a relationship with us. But it must have also included this idea that, that we have broken our relationship with him through sin because it says starting with Moses and starting with Moses, we see this record in the Old Testament of God's people continuing to sin against him, break the relationship with him, and mostly, not solely, but mostly through idolatry, which is actually placing your hope in someone or something outside of the God of the Bible, looking to someone or something else instead of him. It must have also included this idea that God wasn't content to leave us in that place of broken relationship with him and with each other. But he, he would come to us. And we know that he came to us in the person of Jesus Christ. You see, from the time of Moses forward, from the time of Moses forward, all of the prophets pointed to one who would be beyond Moses, better than Moses, a greater Moses, one like Moses that would come to deliver them once and for all from a greater slavery and from a greater bondage than Egypt, from slavery and bondage to sin. And it must have included this idea that, that this one that would come to save them, this son of God, this son of man, that he would be a sinless man, that he would live a sinless life, a life that we could never live before God, that he would be, as the Old Testament pictured, the spotless lamb the one without blemish, that he would be perfect. He would live this perfect sinless life for us and that he would die a death that we should have died. He would pay the penalty for our sins. By his wounds we are healed, Isaiah says. And John the baptizer, when he showed up, would say, the lamb of God, the ultimate sacrifice that takes away the sins of the world. 
And it must have included this idea that he would rise to give us a life that we could never have otherwise. A life filled with forgiveness and freedom to enjoy relationship with God again. And that he would be our, our final and our heavenly priest and mediator. There's no need for any priest of any kind. That, that our relationship with God is mediated in and through and by Jesus Christ. And that one day he would make all things new. That he would not only save us from our sin, but he would save us from the effects of that sin. The effects of it on, on the world. It says they were slow of heart. Jesus said, oh, slow of heart to believe. And many people are slow of heart to believe this. What about you? Are you slow of heart to believe these things about Jesus? Do you believe Jesus is the fulfillment of all of this great hope? The account continues, verse 28. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly saying, stay with us for it is toward evening and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. <laughs> this is what happens. This is what happens when you get close to Jesus. This is what happens when you spend time with him. This is what happens when you listen to him. This is what happens when you spend time considering him. You, you want to be near to him. There's just something about him. You want to be close. You want to invite him in. And you want to invite him into more and more areas of your life. I think this is a beautiful picture of what happens if you're listening, if you're truly listening to Jesus, if you're really interested, if you're listening and you know he's, he's drawing near to you and, and, you, and you sense him drawing you out and you, you want to respond in some way, if you're feeling or sensing any of that, even on this morning, you know you want to get closer. Do you find yourself with a greater and greater desire? to invite Jesus into your life? The story continues, the account continues, and reaches really its pinnacle here in verses 30 to 32. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. And they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures. And there is a point in time for everyone that follows Jesus when they realize that he is the one, the only one that can bring them this kind of hope beyond hope. When they realize that Jesus Christ is the one true God become man. He is the greater Moses. When they realize that Jesus has lived a sinless life on their behalf, a life that they could never live, a life that they would have no hope of living on their own. When they realize, when we realize that Jesus died on the cross and in our place and for our sins, he died on our behalf. He died a death we were hopelessly headed toward outside of and without him. And when we realize that Jesus proved who he said he was by raising from death and giving us hope beyond, beyond sin, beyond brokenness, a hope beyond death, a hope beyond hope. <laughs> if you're a Christian, do you remember that day? If you're a Christian, do you remember the day when you realized these things about Jesus? When you realized that he was the one that could bring you a hope beyond hope? If you can remember that day, I want to encourage you to rejoice like no other on this day, okay? If you can remember that day, and if you're a Christian, you should remember that day. 
What a great day. What an incredible, what a miraculous day. Might this be that day? Might this be the day? Maybe you're not yet a Christian. Might, might this be the day? Might this be the day you sense Jesus revealing himself to you? He's drawing near to you. He's drawing you out. You actually want to get a bit closer. You want, you want, you believe, I, I think I believe that actually Jesus is the one I should place my hope in for forgiveness of sin and new life. I want to encourage you to respond to Jesus today. Respond to him. You might say, well, I, this is kind of new to me. How would I do that? How, how do I respond to Jesus? Well, I think at least you confess, you believe that you are hopelessly bent towards sin. And you believe he is the only place, the only place you can find the hope for forgiveness of that sin. That's, that's where you start. You, you confess that to him. You, you pray a prayer. Even right now, under your breath, you tell him that. You ask him to forgive you of a life that you've lived hopelessly pursuing sin and hopelessly bent that way. You ask him for forgiveness of your hopelessly sinful life. And under your breath right now, you, you say that, you confess that to him. And you tell him that you want to live your life out of a new hope that you have in him. And you don't know everything about it yet, but you know you want to place your hope in him for the forgiveness of your sins and for a new life with him. And, and you tell him that, that you want to live out of that new hope. And you ask him, just right now you pray under your breath, you ask him to give you hope that, that you could live more and more of your life, placing more and more of your hope and your faith and your trust in him. And this is the good news, that we can have hope beyond hope when we place our hope in Jesus. The account comes to a conclusion here in verses 35, 33 to 35. And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the 11 and those who were with them gathered together saying, the Lord has risen indeed and he's appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was made known to them in the breaking of the bread. You see, after seeing the resurrected Jesus, this is the first thing that they did. They went back to Jerusalem. It was a two and a half hour walk there. Could you imagine how fast they got back? <laughs> I mean, I don't know, maybe it was a seven and a half minute mile. I don't know how fast you can run in sandals. Okay, maybe it was 30 minutes, 45 on the outside. Can you imagine how quickly they got back to Jerusalem? Never run in one of those things, you know, a robe. <laughs> can you imagine how fast they got back? Because once they had realized the resurrected Jesus and they'd seen the hope of the resurrected Jesus, they couldn't help but run as fast as they could back to where they were before with their friends, their family, their coworkers, the people that they loved, to tell them about the hope that they have found in the resurrected Christ. And when you and I finally realize the hope beyond hope that we have in Jesus, this is what we want to do. We want to go and tell others. We want to go and tell them about the hope that we have in Jesus and in the resurrection of, of Jesus Christ. And so to that end, as I wind down my time here, our time here in Luke 24, and as we get ready to sing a final song and a celebration, I, I want to I send you out in a sense with a, an exhortation, with a challenge, so to speak. I want to challenge you to treat this Easter like that first Easter. I want to challenge you that now as we, we've talked about these things, about the hope beyond hope that we have in Jesus, that you would run home. Don't speed, just get home, you know, but get home. Get to wherever you're going. And, and, and tell the people around you about the hope that you have found in Jesus. This is what they did. This is what you do on Easter. 
Treat this Easter like that first Easter. Go home and, and tell the people that you're around something about the resurrection power and life of Jesus Christ. You might say, I don't know if I can go back that far. I don't know make believe very well. You know, I don't know if I can make believe I'm Cleopas and those people. Okay, if you can't treat this Easter like, like that first Easter, can you treat this Easter, listen to me, like your first Easter? Could you just think back to your first Easter, the first Easter that you had after you had come to know the hope that you have in Jesus Christ? Can you remember that Easter? My bet is on that Easter, you were eager to tell people around you like new believers are about the hope that you found in Christ and you were sharing it with everyone that you could or as many people as you felt comfortable. You, you just were out there. And over time, Easter's become like kind of a nice day to enjoy family, some great weather, some good food, you know, good vibes, whatever it is. No, 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 no. Wherever you're going, can I ask you to treat it like your first Easter? To go back to where you're going right now and, and to tell everyone that you can about the hope that you have in Jesus. Treat it like the first Easter or treat it like your first. Because we have good news this morning, Village Church. We can have hope beyond hope because we have placed our hope in Jesus. Amen? Will you pray with me? Jesus, we thank you that we don't have to say we can have hope beyond hope when we place our hope in Jesus. We can say we do have hope beyond hope because by God's grace, we have placed our faith in Jesus. And Jesus, we thank you for giving us a hope beyond hope a hope that's beyond all the normal places we place our hope. Forgive us for placing our hope in anyone or in anything outside of you in any kind of ultimate way or attaching you to those things just to make our consciences a bit more clean. Help us to be open to you about the things that hold our hope and, and we want to give our hope completely, solely over to you. Or you alone are the one that we... We, we, have, we place our hope and you alone are the one that can hold our hope. And we confess that, we declare that, we celebrate that, and now we sing about that. And we do it in your name and we do it for your sake, Jesus. Amen.